Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of decision. Thank you for the celebration of first service and the families that came and made decisions. Thank you for Kaylee's decision at eight years old, the childlike faith. She believes in Jesus, and she knows that Jesus died and rose for her. And Lord, uh, I pray that you fulfill the dream. She says she wants to be an evangelist. She wants to share your message. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will put that in her, and she'll share your message with friends and family as she moves into uh, teenage years eventually and then into adulthood. Lord, guide her and shape her as a young lady in Christ. Father, today we uh, get a chance to dive into your word as we do each and every week. And God, I just want to ask that you would help us to make some decisions. Father, it's so easy to come in and to, to worship you and sing songs. And it's easy, Lord, to sit and hear your message proclaim and even nod our head in agreement. But Father, sometimes it's really hard to make a decision and then put it into practice. And so, Lord, I pray that today you will move in some hearts and some minds today that we make decisions and decisions that we put into practice of keeping you first in our life. Father, we just pray you speak in this room. Help us set aside any distractions or concerns or worries that we may have so that we can focus, Lord, in on you and hear from you today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everett Piper, in his book called The Wrong Side of the Door, Why Ideas Matter, tells about the animated movie of Polar Express. Tom Hanks, if you remember the movie, plays the role of the conductor of a train that takes passenger on a magical Christmas Eve trip to the North Pole. All along the way, the children on a journey must decide if they believe in Christmas, and one boy in particular has his doubts in the movie. The train ride actually is representing that struggle. Is Christmas real or is it just make-believe as the kids were wrestling with that thought and that doubt? At the end of the movie, the little boy is trying to desperately determine what to think about his adventure. What should he believe? What's true? What's false? What's real? What's not real? And the conductor, Tom Hanks, then turns the little boy and says, the one thing about trains, it doesn't matter where you're going. What matters is deciding to get on. My question, is that true? Is that real? It doesn't matter where it's going, just deciding to get on. It doesn't matter if the train represents life, so to speak. See, Piper continues and says, in the 1990s, there was another movie, a historical drama that also featured a train ride. This train, however, was not leading to the magical snow-filled skies of the North Pole, but instead to the mysterious and ash-laden winter of places such as Auschwitz and Dachau. The movie was Steven Spielberg Schindler's List, and in his film we see it does indeed matter which train you choose. See, who can watch fellow humans being herded as cattle into boxcars bound for the furnaces of Nazi prison camps and argue that it doesn't matter where the train is going? It does matter. Who would dare tell the Jews that the, that the joy is in a journey and that the destination is of little consequences? See, what it appears is that some trains lead to good. And where some choices of life lead to good. Some trains you jump on, some, some, some things that you say, I'm going to die on, the stake I'm going to stand behind, where I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm going to say, this is it. Some of those lead to good, but some trains lead to evil. Some choices lead to evil. And the, cho- the truth is, the choices that we make have consequences, and the decisions we make determine our destiny. 
When it comes to parenting, we understand that. How many times as a parent do you have a conversation with your child and the conversation says, listen, the choice you make right now is going to have consequences and sometimes your choice has great consequences and sometimes our choices do not have such great consequences. And we understand that decisions we make determine our destiny, especially when we look back and go, I wish I would have made a different decision when I was 12 or 15 or 18 or 22 or 25. And you look at it right now and go, that decision has affected me even to this day. That's why we need to make sure we're making the right decisions. We've been in a series over the last four weeks called Bringing Life to Your Home, and I hope you've already gotten on board, so to speak, and said, I want to make some decisions for my family with what we've learned so far. I also hope that you'll decide for good for the rest of your life and for the best of your life to continue to do things God's way to continue to put him first. Let me review where we've been in case you've missed or just kind of catch it up. Let me review real quickly. We've been walking through the teaching of Jesus known as the Beatitudes. We've been looking at some of the Beatitudes, not all of them. There's actually eight Beatitudes, which are actually teachings of Jesus about how to live life and live a life that is blessed, blessed by the hand of God. We've been looking at those, and, and those Beatitudes are actually written to everybody, all races, all religions, all, all status of people. This is what Jesus said, and that's what he preached and taught. But we've honed in and said, let's apply these more directly to the family unit. Let's take these Beatitudes and say, if we live them out, how will life be different? And so as we walk through these Beatitudes and looking at them and saying, let's apply them to life, there's a key thought that I've proposed to you that the more I preach and the more I think about it, I think it's so true. And it's a paradigm shift of how we as families need to behave or how we think. And here's the paradigm shift is that we are not going to be just a Christian home, that we're going to be a Christ-centered family. Now, for some, you say, well, is there much difference in that? I would suggest there is especially in America. Because in America, there's still a lot of people who would claim that they are Christian. If you're doing a survey and you're filling that out online and it asks the question, what religious view? A lot of people would check Christian. Or if you're having a one-on-one conversation and someone asks you, well, where do you side at in your religious view? A lot of people, stats will tell us about 80% of Americans would say, well, I'm a Christian. But we also know if it's true that some 80% of our society in America is Christian, then we would have to say things would be different. They should be different. And so I would suppose that a lot of us take the name Christian, but do we really know what it means and do we really live it? And so I want to elevate the paradigm shift is that we're not going to be just a Christian family, but a Christ-centered family. A Christ-centered family puts Christ number one. A Christ-centered family says that Jesus is first place. A Christ-centered family says Christ is first, my spouse is second, my kids are third, my job is fourth, and everything else falls in line. But just a Christian family, Christ falls somewhere in that list depending on what day of the week it is or what month it is or what activities we have been going on. But a Christ-centered family says my life revolves around Christ and Christ doesn't revolve around my life. A Christ-centered family thinks really get different. In a Christ-centered family, our values will be different. The way we spend our money is different. The way we parent our children is different. The way we use our resources is different. How we treat people is different because Jesus isn't just part of our lives. He is our life. So we've been wrestling through that. What does it mean to live as a Christ-centered family by looking at the Beatitudes? See, when we look at these eight Beatitudes from Jesus, 
I think there's one thing that screams out to me that they all have in common. As you read through all eight of the Beatitudes, they all have in common that it's something that we have to decide that we're going to do. They're not just going to happen. It's kind of like me saying, well, Brian, you, you want to lose 20 pounds. I know I need to lose 20 pounds, and I think it's just going to happen. No, I have to make a decision and then put into action how I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Or it's like the student who says, I'm going to get an A in this class this semester. I want to make sure I get an A. You don't say, I'm just going to get an A, and it just happened. No, you have to say, I'm going to get an A and choose to get that A and put into practice good study habits and preparing and getting your homework done and doing a test so that in the end you have the A and so there's a choice to be made. And so Proverbs speaks, I think, pretty clearly to this idea of making choices. Proverbs 16, 1 says, To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for, but through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, He causes their enemies to make peace with them. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. You look at those nine verses in the book of Proverbs, and you look at that, and you try to then look at also the Beatitudes we've been wrestling through, and there's a theme in those nine verses. And the theme is this, that if we want to make good decisions, we must involve the Lord. The Lord is the one that guides our steps. The Lord is the one that helps us make good decisions. No matter what we do, the Lord is ultimately the one in charge. And so if we want Christ to be first, and we want to be the center of our family, the center of our home, then we must look to the Lord. We must look to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want? Lord, how are you directing? Lord, how are you leading? Lord, what does your word say? And then align ourselves according to his leading and his guidance. Jesus understood this. That's why in Luke 6, Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, where you also find the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus said. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I'll show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent stuck that house, it collapsed and all its destruction was complete. If you ever built a house, you know how important the foundation is. If you haven't built a house and you're planning to, be sure to watch as they put the foundation is and, and be aware of what's happening We've had a kind of a live illustration with this. This week we started some work on the building addition and had the engineers come out and they started drilling holes because they want to know what's going on underneath the dirt before we even start anything. 
And so this week they, they drilled some holes and they started finding out whether well, there's some rock at three foot deep and some rock at five foot deep and some rock at seven foot deep. And then one of the engineers came out and he brought this machine and I was amazed. It kind of looked like a mower where you could push it like a mower. Had a computer screen up here and a big battery on the front, on the bottom. And he started walking across the dirt. And I went running out there and I said, hey, well, you got to teach me. What, what, what is this all about? And as I went out there and got a chance to look at that, he started explaining, he said, this is kind of like an x-ray machine that will just scan across your dirt and it can see what's below your dirt and everything that's going on before you even start digging. And I was like, what do you mean it's below the dirt? And, and, and he said, you can see a picture of all the rocks and all the different depths of the rock. Is the rock at three foot, five foot, seven foot? And so a few days later, he called and said, hey, we have a question for you, for your billing team to discuss and for your billing team to figure out. How do you want to do the foundation? Do you want to bring it back filled with soil? Do you want to do flowable fill? Do you want to do some concrete? I was like, I have no idea. I'm a preacher. I said, let's build it so it doesn't fall down. He said, we want to build it in a way where concrete won't crack and you won't have problems with it in the future. And I said, that sounds like a good plan. But it was a learning lesson. Just think about this passage. Most of us understand that kind of thought. You know if you're having back pain or knee pain or hip pain, a lot of times they say, well, what's going on with your feet? Because of your foundation, what's happening with your feet? And, and you understand, if your feet are hurting and you're having problems with your feet, a lot of times it causes problems all the way up your body because that's your foundation. If your foundation is not strong, Jesus is saying, then your family is going to have struggles and difficulties and quite possibly might even fall apart. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And so the call today is, are you willing to make a decision to say, Lord, for me and my family, we want to do what you say. We want to submit to you as authority. We want to submit to you as the Lord, as Proverbs says, which means the Lord is, He's the leader in my life. He's the one in charge. Where He says to go, I'll go. What He says to do, I'll do. What He commands of me, I'm not going to stand up and say, now, hold on a minute, Lord, not me, though. That's for other people. When we read the Word and say, Lord, Your Word is guiding me in that direction, and so I want to lead my family in that direction. Because Jesus is guiding us and saying, why not build upon a solid foundation? If we don't do it according to the Lord, we're building upon a sandy foundation that when the torrents of life come, when the hardships of life come, things are going to fall apart. Here's the bottom line. If you want a great life, if you want a life that is blessed in every area and not just your family, you have to have the right foundation and we have to decide to do it God's way. That's a must. And when we decide to do it our way, we're building a foundation upon a sandy foundation instead of a solid foundation. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Well, that word commit actually means put the Lord first. It means make sure you're following His direction. When we're doing things God's way, we can enjoy His blessings and His supernatural provision for our lives. Proverbs 16.7, Solomon says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to live at peace with him. When a man's ways are pleasing, which means when a man's ways or a woman's ways are following God's ways, that he takes care of even our enemies. So what is God's plan? How do we do this? Again, look at Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. I mean, just those first four verses, if you summarize it down, Solomon is saying, 
remember. Remember what God says. But take it even further, not just to remember, but remember and then put it into practice. And so Solomon's saying, listen, God has taught you this and God has taught you that. You've read his words, you understand it. Remember it and put it into practice. I think about growing up. And there's times now in my life I think back and I go, man, I'm doing just like, just like my dad did or I'm doing just like my mom did it because I'm remembering how they taught me something or how they showed me something. And even at times I'm like, why am I doing it? I didn't like it when they did it and now I'm doing it. It's kind of what Solomon's saying. Solomon's saying, remember what the Lord taught, but don't just remember where you can say, oh yeah, I can remember he said that, but remember and actually move forward, put it into practice because if he's Lord of your life, then you're going to submit to his leadership. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. You look at verses 5 through 8. Again, one word is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on whose understanding? Our own understanding. So many times in life we go, well, this is what I think. This is what I believe. This is where my friends are telling me to go versus going, God, what are you saying? God, what are you telling me to do? When it comes to finances, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to health issues, when it comes to anything of life, to stop and go, God, I just want to trust you. God, I may not understand what's happening in my job and why this is going on. God, I may not understand why this um, health issue has hit my family. God, I don't understand why we're going through the financial struggles that we're walking through. God, I don't know why I'm feeling down or depressed or struggle, but God, I trust you. God, I believe you are sovereign. I believe you created the heavens and the earth. God, I believe you have it all in your hands. And so, Lord, even when there's times, I don't understand it, even when there's times when it doesn't make sense to me, But, Lord, your word says, and so, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The word there I see in those two verses is honor. Honor who God is. Now, you look at that text, and you go, well, that's talking about money. And, yes, it is talking about money. Honor with your wealth. But I think it's fair that you could say, honor the Lord with your life, with the first fruits of all of your life. Then your life will be overflowing, and your life will be full. I think it's true that when we honor God, put Him first in everything we do, that's when life is filled. That's when life is full. That's exactly what we're learning also in the Beatitudes. Honor God. Put Him first. And that is when life is filled. Verses 1 through 4, remember what God says. Verses 5 through 8, trust what God does. Verses 9 and 10, honor who God is. When we remember and we trust and we honor, putting into practice what we've been learning the last few weeks, we'll discover a life that is full. A life that is filled will discover joy and contentment in our lives as we walk with Jesus. So I must ask you, I must ask you, are you ready to remember and trust and honor God in what we've been talking about the last few weeks? Are you ready to live as a Christ-centered home and not just a Christian family? Week one was Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are you ready to honor God and hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you willing to trust God and say, God, I want that hungering and that thirsting, and God, I'm asking that you give that to me. Are you willing to remember what he says that when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's when you'll be filled? Are you ready to pursue after God? being in his word. Week two, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. That we have eyes that are open for impurities in our life. That we have eyes that are open that says, that movie, that's not of God. That, that song, that's not of God. This behavior is not of God. The way I'm doing my business, it's not pure. And some of you have reminded me and said, Brian, I love the illustration about the brownies. And if you remember that Sunday, and if you don't remember it, go back and listen to it. Is there any poo in your brownies? Because a little bit of poo ruins a whole batch of brownies. If you forget, you're like, what is he talking about? Well, go back to week two and listen to that one. Week three, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Not the peacekeepers who say, oh, there's an issue. Let's just go around and avoid the issue. Let's just skip it. Let's not talk about it. The peacemaker actually says there's an issue. Let's go with the mind of Christ. Let's go sit down and discuss the issue, and let's work through the issue so that we do that in a peacemaking type way that we honor God. It's blessed are the peacemakers for they will be what? Called children of God. And then last week we were warned, Matthew 5, 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we said, you know, we may not experience a lot of persecution, maybe a little bit right now, maybe a little verbal persecution, maybe being passed over for a raise or something like that, but the physical persecution, we haven't experienced that, so to speak, as of yet. But blessed are those who are persecuted because of what? Because when you stand for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so those four calls for us to live as Christ-centered homes. One of my concerns as a preacher, sometimes we preach one topic one week and another topic, another topic, another topic, and people hear and go home. It's good for us to make decisions. And so today's a day of calling to decision. Because I don't want to just preach and you hear and you go home and maybe you do something and maybe you don't. I want to ask you today to make a decision to put something into practice. Our servers are going to hand out some cards to you right now, some decision cards. And twice a year at Centerpoint, we have what we call Decision Sunday. The main emphasis of Decision Sunday is always about salvation and people partnering with this church as members for God's work and God's kingdom. But there's always other kinds of decisions. You made a decision today just to get up and come to church this morning, a decision that I believe God honors when you say, God, I'm going to honor you and be in worship. You're going to have, a, in a moment here, you'll have an opportunity to make a decision to move to communion as communion is at the foot of the cross today. You'll have a chance to make that kind of decision. But I want to ask you to make some decisions today of importance. First of all, I want to ask you to consider, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever made that great confession? Follow exactly what Kaylee did, make a confession, I believe in Jesus and be baptized. Some in this room, I know you've been wrestling with that kind of decision. Maybe today's the day, and you say, you know what, today's the day I want to draw the line of the sand and accept Jesus as my Savior. You say, I didn't come prepared for that, preacher. I don't have the right kind of clothes. We have all the clothes ready for you. We have everything ready to go, and so we could baptize you and you help you make that decision of faith today. Maybe you would mark that and say, today's my day. I'm going to cross that line of faith and give my life to Christ Secondly, maybe a decision you want to make is, today's my day to become a partner or a member in this church. We like to use the word partner because sometimes membership is like, oh, I got my privilege, I'm a member at so-and-so club or so-and-so place. But a partner says, I'm working together. And many have come to our membership class, you've wrestled through that, and it's time to say, you know what, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, this is my church, this is where I want to be. For some of you, you want to make a recommitment. 
You know, it's not bad to make a recommitment in Christ and say, Lord, I've gotten off the path, so to speak. For some, you made your decision for Christ maybe a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago. Some of you, maybe it's been 20 or 30 years ago. But it's really easy in our culture today to make a decision for Christ and then get sidetracked. It's easy to like let, let life press in on us and go, man, if I think about it, job is consuming me, money is consuming me, and I've been really distracted. And if I'm honest with myself, Christ is really not number one. He's somewhere in the list. And maybe today is a recommitment just to say, Christ, I want you to be number one in my life. A fourth decision is that you commit as a family to say, Christ, we want you to be the center of our home. We don't want to play games with this anymore. We don't want to pretend like we're Christians and just kind of show up to church here and everybody think we're great. No, God, we are going to put you at the center of our home. And what does that look like? Maybe that means we're going to go back and re-listen to some messages. We're going to sit down and have some family discussions. We're going to sit down and maybe around the dinner table and say, hey, what does this mean? What changes? What adjusts? How do we put Christ more at the center of our home so we are not just a Christian family, but we are a Christ family? centered family. And so here in a moment, we're going to have a chance to respond. You say, why don't we do this on a card? Why can't I just make the decision? You can make a decision. You don't have to fill out a card or anything. The card, though, helps you cement a decision. It's kind of like putting a goal on a piece of paper. They say it's not really a goal until you write it down. And it's amazing how when you write things down, you can remember May 21st, 2017, I made that recommitment. May 21st, 2017 is the day I accepted Jesus as my Savior and I was baptized. You remember when you put it in writing And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to move to the cross, and that's where you take communion this morning at the foot of the cross. And as you take communion, to place this card at the foot of the cross. Now, I do want to say this. If you're making a recommitment to Christ today, or you're making the commitment of a Christ-centered home, place this at the foot of the cross. But if you're coming today and you're like, I want this to be my church home, I want to be a member, and I want you to meet me in the back, I'll just be standing back there and give me your card, please. Or if you're coming to be baptized and accept Christ your Savior, again, come back to me and give me your card, and we'll help you walk through that. First service, we had seven families come and say, hey, this is our church home now. Seven families that come and said that represents about 20 people between their kids and adults who said, we want to partner here, and then Kaylee was baptized. But in first service, we had over 25 families that said, we want Christ to be the center of our home. Those are commitments and decisions that are worth celebrating and worth praying about. And I just wonder, what's God going to do in you today? What's, what decision is God calling you today? I encourage you, don't take this lightly. It's easy to hear me talk about this and say, oh, I'm just going to sit here and, okay, when we're done with this, we're done with this. God wants to do something in you. And sometimes a simple commitment on a piece of paper, God starts to use that to move your life in a new direction.